All right. It's time now to turn to the Word of our God. I've been looking so forward to beginning here this new series. Today is the very first Sunday we are beginning uh, to study together through the Gospel of John. So if you'll open with me to John chapter 1. I want to read the first 18 verses. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. John 1, 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of our God. I want to take a moment and pray and ask that God would bless it to us as we open it together. Father, we stand humbled and thankful and grateful for You and for Your word that You have given to us. Father, it it is you who have told us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. So, Father, these words that you have given to us, this revelation of the word from heaven, your son Jesus, I pray, Lord, that today you would pull back the veil, that you would open our eyes, that we could see your son Jesus for who He truly is, and that seeing him, we would be changed, that we would fall down and worship. Father, I pray that you would do great things here today for the good of your people and the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, I pray and say, Amen.
I want to do two things this morning as we come to the, the opening, this opening section of John's Gospel. I want to give a brief introduction to the Gospel of John, and then we're going to look at number two, John's introduction. These first 18 verses are John's introduction. It's going to be a summary of everything that he's going to be teaching us over the next 21 chapters. So let's look, number one, at at an introduction to this book. Now, the first thing I want to say to you this morning, no matter how many times you've read the Gospel of John or heard messages on this book, um, as much as we're able, I'd like us to try to approach this like it was our very first time. Because in a very real way, the Holy Spirit has intended you as an individual and us as a church family to receive the Gospel of John as a communication from God to us personally. I want to start start by just asking a few questions. Number one, who wrote the Gospel of John? Well, it was written by the apostle whose name is over it, the apostle John. John was more than likely one of the youngest of the apostles, one of the youngest disciples, probably still an older teenager when Jesus called him during Jesus' public ministry. You'll remember James and John, they were the sons of a professional fisherman named Zebedee. Um, They are affectionately termed the sons of thunder in the Gospels, and I can't help but be reminded of my two boys at times. They must have been boisterous, the sons of thunder. Um, One remarkable feature, get this y'all, one very remarkable feature about the Gospel of John is that John never mentions his own name in it. Whenever he has to bring himself up to advance the narrative, you know what he calls himself? He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Two things are happening here. I think, number one, John wants Jesus to be front and center in the story. John doesn't want to take any of the glory for himself. But also, when John thought about himself, the greatest thing that John could say about himself is that I am a disciple that Jesus loves. What would you say was the greatest thing you could describe about yourself? I hope it's in terms of the love of Christ for you. When did John write this gospel? This is very interesting because we have four eyewitness accounts of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus that have been handed down to us in history. And the reason why that is significant is because in Jewish culture and their legal system, in order for something to be accepted in a court of law as a matter of fact and established as truth, it had to be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. God's given us four eyewitness accounts to the life of Jesus. 
Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels, and they were written earlier than the gospel of John. Um, They're called synoptic because they follow a similar pattern. Uh, They are basically a a, a chronological um, perspective of Jesus' life. Uh, John is a little bit different. Uh, John most likely wrote between the years of 70 and 90 A.D. So you're talking about at least 50, 60 years after Jesus was crucified and rose again. That means John has had decades, decades to contemplate the life and the teaching of Christ and its impact on him and its impact on the world. John's gospel is not so much tailored to be a chronological narrative of the life of Christ. It's been called a theological gospel. And and John does seem to be intentionally submitting. He had access to the the other three gospels. He seems to be supplementing um, things that they wrote. And, And there's things in John's gospel that they don't have. And he seems to be presenting more concepts about the life of Christ in the first half of his book rather than a chronological, merely a chronological narrative. Why did John write his gospel? Well, he made it clear in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, he says, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John has a laser focus in his writing this. He wants us to see Christ for who he is. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. He is not, grammar's important, he's not a son of God. We are children. I am a son of God. He was the unique, only begotten son of God. When Jesus, we'll learn in the Gospel of John, when he referred to himself as the son of God, that was a claim to divinity. It was a claim to being one with God that almost got him stoned. All right? John was an evangelist. He wanted us to see Christ for who he truly is and to trust in him. And and I am so excited as we jump into this gospel together that it could be that, that here today or throughout this series as we open the pages of this book to see Christ that perhaps someone here could come to faith in Christ for the first time. Or for believers who are here that, that see in Christ afresh and again and again and again, our faith would be strengthened. The roots of our faith would go deeper and deeper into Him. I remember when I was a kid, I mean, back in the days before streaming television, back in the days before the internet, only one time every year, a movie came on television, The Wizard of Oz. And every year, our family, we would, I don't know what it was, we'd get a box of fiddle faddle and (laughs) 
we would watch The Wizard of Oz. And if you remember that story, you know, there's this land of Oz, and there's this the great and powerful Oz, this wizard who's so, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. And, and Dorothy and her friends, you remember the story, they go to him for help. And they go a couple of times, and they use this very frightening, overwhelming thing, this wizard, fire and all this. And, but you know, there came that point when the little dog Toto went back there and pulled back the curtain. And behind the curtain was this timid, weak little man. When we come to Christ in the Gospel of John, it is exactly the opposite. When the Holy Spirit, through John's writing, is pulling back the curtain. You know, when you see man, uh, when you see Jesus in his humanity, from the outward appearance, he, j- he looks like an ordinary man. But when God pulls back the veil, we see anything but the ordinary. We see our great and powerful Savior and our God. And when we pull back the veil, when you pull back the curtain on Jesus, there is not an ounce of disappointment. So let's prepare ourselves as this proverbial curtain is being pulled back and I want to look now number two let's look at John's introduction all right so just I want to reread John 1 verses 1 through 3 in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made Um, as we look at these three verses, but then these first 18 altogether. I just I want to point out six things about Jesus here in this passage, okay? And the first two will I want to sort of lump together. Number one, he is the word. Number two, he is the creator. Okay? Uh, John wants us to help wants to help us understand who Jesus really is, and he takes this word, word, right? In the beginning was the word. And that word in John's culture was pregnant with meaning, right? Um, Both uh, in Greek philosophy and in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, In Greek philosophy, the the logos, which is the, we get the English word, word. The logos was the divine principle in the cosmos which gave it order and meaning. The Stoics, which they were a branch of philosophers, they saw the Logos as the active and rational spiritual principle that permeated all of reality. Right? So John's going to intentionally borrow this term that is such a weighty, big concept, and he's going to use it to um, describe Jesus. Only he's going to say, listen, I want you to understand that the thing that's giving order to the cosmos... The, d- the divinity that gives meaning and purpose to existence is not some abstract principle or force. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. Look at how he describes the word. 
He doesn't just borrow it from Greek philosophy, although that's part of it. He takes a quote in his gospel. Where do you, where did you, did, did you hear this as an echo of something? John opens his gospel with the exact same words that the Old Testament opens with. In, in, the, in Genesis 1.1, it's in the beginning God. John says, in the beginning was the Word. Two things John says here. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? He's with God, and he was God. John's not trying to be confusing or ambiguous. John is intentional about what he is saying. This is a peak. This is a human-sized peak into the life of the Trinity. Has anybody got the Trinity figured out? Just raise your hand. You can come up here and explain it to all of us. The Trinity is such a beautiful and powerful, it's mysterious, but it's a revealed truth that we accept because of the pages of Scripture. But but God, the Holy Spirit here, is is like you would try to, you know, you're going to try to get down on your knees and explain to a kindergartner about rocket science, right? Here he's getting down to us. He's saying, listen, I know the Trinity is this huge, mysterious doctrine, but let me make it as simple as I can. The Word was with God, and he was God. You have unity and plurality stated just as a fact. Uh, We refer to Jesus as the second, or the Son of God, Jesus, Jesus in his humanity. We refer to him as the second member of the Trinity. God exists. We worship one God who exists in three persons who are co-eternal, co-equal in power, glory, and majesty. In the Hebrew Scriptures, it was the word of the Lord that was the active agent in the creation of the universe. Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. And you remember back to Genesis chapter 1, how did God create? God didn't wave a magic wand, he didn't snap his finger, he didn't imagine things into existence. We're told over and over that the Lord said, he spoke, let there be. Let there be, and every time he spoke, things came into existence. In Proverbs chapter 8, I love this. In the last half of that chapter, um, wisdom is personified, and commentators, pastors, theologians see Jesus in this. I mean, pretty much nobody thinks it's not talking about Jesus So you get wisdom personified, and it's talking about how wisdom, Jesus, was there with the Father during, before and during creation. So Proverbs 8, 27, and I'll read verse 30. When he established, this is is wisdom speaking, so this would be Jesus speaking. When he, when the Father established the heavens, I was there. Verse 30, I was beside him like a, like a master workman, and I was daily 
his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Do you see this? I get little glimpses of this when I'm working usually out in the yard or some project with my boys and we're working together. And, you know, I, I, I begin as, as they get older and their skills develop and, and we work on things, I, I, I'm really proud of them. And I look over there at them and Jesus said, there are these moments of creation. that he was daily the delight of the Father. The depth of the delight the Father had in the Son and the Son had in the Father rejoicing together, rejoicing in one another and the work of their hands. We don't want to leave the Holy Spirit out third member of the Trinity, you just go back to Genesis 1-1 and you have the Spirit brooding over the face of the deep. The Holy Spirit is there working with the Father and the Son, hovering over like a mother bird, just weaving creation into existence. John is not the only New Testament writer to attribute creation to God the Son. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 um, you know, this is a life verse for you. This, this, what I'm about to say ought to be the foundational principle of every one of our worldviews. It says, Colossians 1, 15, all things were created through him, through Christ, and all things were created for him. Hebrews 1 chapter, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 3 tells us, and man, this is so much, this is such a parallel passage to the opening verses in John 1. Hebrews 1, 1, long ago and at many times in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus created all things and and it's his powerful word, it's himself as the word. The thing that holds all things together. The active agent in which all things consist is Christ. So, number one, he's the word. Number two, he is the creator. Number three, he is, Jesus is the life. Verse four says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Life and light are two major themes that John's going to go on and develop throughout this gospel. 
in chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The Trinity is the author of physical life. Go back and look again at Genesis chapter 2, verse 27. It says that God breathed into man the breath of life, and man became a living creature. But it's not just physical life. Christ is the author of spiritual life, which mankind lost at the fall in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. Christ came, this is, this is why Jesus came, to restore the spiritual life to his people that was lost. All right, so number one, he's the word. Number two, he's the creator. Number three, he's the life. Number four, Jesus entered his own creation. This is such a spectacular thing. Words fail. Guys, I mean, to, to, to begin down the path to ponder this, um, I think it was Augustine who said, Lord, we see the depths, but we cannot fathom the bottom. You begin to look into this, and your mind is just blown. The Creator entered His creation. Verse 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. For a time, Jesus dwelt among us in the form of a servant, uh, in the form of a human man. And for a time, for a time, His glory was veiled. Jesus did not lose or lay aside or divorce himself from his divinity uh, when he became a man, but he voluntarily chose not to exercise his divine prerogatives so that he could inhabit our humanity in every way possible with one exception. What was that? Sin. Right? He fully experienced our humanity, except he was without sin. Now, how many of you love a good story? Like whether it's a movie or a book, you just love a good story. But just imagine an author writing a cosmic drama, the greatest story ever told with a plot so thick and so gripping, with a villain so vile, and, and people in such desperate need of rescue. God has written a story so powerful and so amazing. There's just one problem. The rescue that God's people needed was so deep, so impossible. Like even Mission Impossible number 15 couldn't, right? so impossible that no one on earth, no one in the story was righteous enough or valiant enough or powerful enough. So what does God do? He write, the author writes himself into his story because only he is worthy enough. Only he is strong enough. Only he is righteous enough to bring salvation for his people, and that's what 
Jesus did when the God who created space and time entered human history. You understand God is a transcendent being. He is much, he is far, transcendent means he is far greater than we are. We are creatures bound by time. God's not bound by time. God doesn't have like this, God's not like a bazillion years old. He is the kind of being that his existence transcends time. And yet, through this miracle, he enters human history. Number five, Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. Verse 18 tells us that Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made the Father known. Jesus has perfectly revealed God. Now, I want to say a word about that. To say that Jesus has perfectly revealed God, I don't think that means that he has completely revealed God. Right? God is an infinite being, and... Like, we'll spend eternity growing in knowing God and grasping new features of his glorious character. So there's no, there's no way, not because of Jesus' limits, but because of ours, that, that the full character and nature of God's being could be revealed. But Jesus has perfectly revealed the Father to us in every way that we as humans can see and know God as our Father. This is, this is what the passage in Hebrews was saying a few minutes ago. God has spoken to us by his Son. Our God delights to communicate. And he delights to communicate himself to his people. In John 14, John said, John verse, chapter 1, verse 14, John says, We beheld his glory. The glory is the, as of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. In some ways, we've been talking about Moses in the Gospel Project in the mornings. In some ways, John 1, 14, this is the true and greater answer to the prayer that Moses prayed back in Exodus 33. You remember when, when Moses pleaded with God, Lord, show me your glory. And God's like, hold up, boy. <laughs> you, can't, you can't tolerate. You can't stand. You're not able to view the fullness of my glory. So what did God do? says there in Exodus 33, God said, there is a place beside me, and I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And God said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass by before you, and I will, I will proclaim my name before you. Only, God said, that's, that's, that's going to be too much for you. So God literally said, I'm going to put my hand over your face, because no one can see my face and live. And as God passes by, and God's protecting Moses in the cleft of the rock with his hand, God pulls his hand away just a little bit. And Moses gets a glimpse of the hinder parts, the backside, the trailing edge of the glory of God. 
But do you realize that in Christ, God has pulled his hand away. God has found a way. His grace has found a way in the incarnation of his son. Incarnation is just a fancy big word that talks about God becoming flesh. Incarnate. He became a man. Uh, he, he is... He is pulled away his hand for us to fully behold the glory of God in the person and work of Christ. Grace has found a way for us to be able to see the glory of God without it undoing us. Well, the sixth and final thing I want to point out to you this morning from this text about Jesus, who is the Word, He was also despised and rejected by men. Verse 10 says that even though the world was made through him, the world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. That speaks first and foremost to the Jewish people. Jesus, God ordained that the Messiah would come through a Jewish lineage. But, but it also speaks to, in reality, to all of mankind who, in our own nature, John chapter 3 is going to tell us, this is the condemnation, that light has come out of the world and that men have loved the darkness more than the light because our deeds are evil. Christ came. Not because we invited him. Not because we wanted him. And certainly not because we were worthy. Christ came because of his unparalleled love for us to rescue us. Because without his redeeming grace, every one of us would be lost. But the text does tell us, but to those who did receive him. Thankfully, it's not all of humanity ultimately does not reject Christ. But to those who did receive him, verse 13, is very clear to say that they were not born again because of their family heritage, because of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, They were born because of the will of God. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right. He gave the right. In older translations, that word right, he gave them the right to become the children of God. That word right, uh, in older translations, was translated power. He gave them power. Um, The word, what it really means is legal authority. To as many as received him, he gives the legal authority to be called the son. God takes his enemies and makes them his children. To all who did receive him, we have been both born again by the Holy Spirit. We have been legally justified in the courts of heaven and we have been adopted 
into the royal family. Where do you stand with Jesus today? And I, I don't, I'm not really asking what would you say to answer the question. I assume most of us would probably get an A on the test. But in your heart, in your life, where do you stand with Christ? Have you received Him? Have you been born again? Have you been made new? I want to tell you the story. Um, many of you know, for years, I was a, a, a deputy sheriff here, Tiff County Sheriff's Office, and um, one of my assignments the first year there, I was a transport deputy, which means I would transport inmates, like if they needed to go to a different jail or if I needed to take them to, out to a doctor's appointment, that was my job. And so, I, but I saw myself as like an evangelist, right? Almost kind of like an undercover evangelist. So every time I ever transported anywhere, you could bet one thing, I was going to try to share the gospel with them. And you be careful about getting alone with me because, you know, I'm just warning you, right? I got a captive audience. Um, but one day they called me. They asked me to take this man to the Turner County Jail, and I didn't know the guy. I'd never seen him before. Um, so, I, I mean, it's a short ride, 25 minutes-ish to the Turner County Jail, and I get him in my car, and I know I have a short amount of time, so I strike up a conversation with him. Hey, man, tell me about yourself. You know, what's, what's going on with you? He'd been having some pretty severe conflict with the staff at the jail. And so they were moving him out, you know, to kind of get rid of the problem. Well, I, I start trying to steer the conversation towards spiritual things. And he told me he grew up in a Christian family, but he wasn't a Christian. I, I, I just asked him right out, what, what do you think of Jesus? Do you see him as God in the flesh like he claimed to be? And he's like, I mean, he was adamant. No, are you, What? I don't believe that. That's ridiculous. He was a good man, but I don't believe he was God. And I just remember he had this very militant and very angry persona. And he was, I could tell he wasn't open. Like, he wasn't open to continuing the conversation. So I didn't, I didn't try to be, I didn't try to be pushy with him. But I had a little Gideon Bible, a little Gideon New Testament, little brown Bibles. You've probably seen them. And I said, hey man, have you got a Bible? He said, no. I said, well, listen, Take this with you. And um, I, he told me in that exchange, he said, I just, I just, I'm a, I'm a searcher of truth. I'm a seeker of truth. And I thought, okay. All right. I said, well, you take this and while you're up there, look at the Gospel of John. Read the Gospel of John while you're in there. And I, he left, never, didn't hear from him anymore. Two or three months later, I got dispatched to go back to the Turner County Jail, and they didn't tell me who I was picking up. They just said, hey, we need you to pick up an inmate and bring them to court. So that's what I did. I headed up there, and I got in there, and there's, it's kind of like the um, little processing place. is kind of like a fishbowl, and there's a counter where the jailers work, and there's these little jail cells um, that are, have clear glass. And I walk in there, and I'm waiting for a jailer to come and talk to me, and there's this one dude back behind the glass over there, and... I'm looking at him, and this guy is staring at me, and he looks like I, I really thought he had like mental health issues. He was smiling from ear to ear. I mean, it looked, it was a little bit scary, and I'm thinking, what? I, people usually aren't this happy to see me, you know. So I'm looking over there, and so the jailer gets him out, and it's actually the guy I'm taking back to court, 
and I didn't recognize him at first, but do you know the first thing he said to me? He said, he said, I got down on my knees last night and prayed that God would send you to come and pick me up. I normally don't get that out of people either. <laughs> the next thing he did, it had been a couple months, he pulled out that Gideon Bible that looked like it had been read through a hundred times and he had a lot of time sitting in jail. He said, God has changed my life. I've been completely made new. And I'm starting to realize it was the, the guy had gotten his hair cut. He had this long hair when I picked him up, but it was cut almost like mine is now. And so, but when he started talking, I, I, I recognized him and it, it started coming back to me and okay. And so I got him in my car and we started back for Tifton and I remembered me asking him about Jesus and if he believed in Jesus and if he believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And I said, I'm glad to hear what God's done in your life, but I got a question for you. You remember how I asked you about Jesus? I said, what do you think about him now? And he, he's holding that Bible up. I believe, I believe in him. I believe that he is God. I believe he's the son of God. And I mean, I was, I was blown away at the power of the word of God. I didn't say anything to him. I gave him a Bible and asked him to read the gospel of John. And God changed that man's life. My prayer for us as we go through the gospel of John together over these next several months is that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes in fresh and powerful ways either for the first time or in just, in just um, as I say fresh and invigorating ways to behold Christ in his glory that we with John would marvel that through grace we have become disciples whom Jesus loves. Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, your word is good and it is powerful. And I pray, Lord, today and over the next several months here at the road as we, as we seek to see your son to know him more deeply and truly. Father, that you would do amazing things in our minds and hearts, that we would be transformed. Father, that we would be um, renewed in our faith. Lord, I pray that um, whether there be people here this morning or those who will come, Lord, who do not yet know your Son, I pray, Father, that you would be pleased to draw them by your grace to your Son, for your glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen.